welcome back to the crossover across time podcast for our wednesday episode for the first week of the conference finals and we've got uh the game one and both series uh completed both game ones and uh that's where we're going to start off our show before we get started i am your host karsten welcome to the show or welcome back to the show whether you've listened prior or this is your first time listening we appreciate your support and uh definitely appreciate you tuning in um let's go ahead and get started uh today's episode is actually going to be very very short we're going to keep it very simple we're going to summarize uh those two game ones one of them that just completed a matter of hours ago we'll give you the latest news um and then we'll real quick preview what uh you know the next couple of days we'll have and that's kind of it honestly um pretty short pretty straightforward um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and start with those games. And it started on Tuesday. Yesterday, we had game one of the Western conference finals, uh, the Denver nuggets, the higher seed, the one seed in the Western conference, uh, hosting the seven seed Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, so game one, of course, in Denver game two will be as well. And that'll be tomorrow. Uh, but the nuggets take game one, one thirty-two to one twenty-six, high scoring affair for both teams. Early, it looked like a, a Denver runaway, and then uh, the Lakers brought it back. They actually had a chance to potentially tie this game late. Um, made it very exciting. For most of the game, though, Denver had a very nice lead, very big lead. Um, again, a late comeback made things interesting, but Denver, a very potent game, great all-around game. Jokic in particular, as you'd expect, um, phenomenal. And <clears throat> the Lakers have their work cut out for them. Uh, we can certainly say that much. You look at the numbers for the Lakers, and they they had some pretty solid performances, especially Anthony Davis. You know, 40 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks. Phenomenal numbers. I mean, you really couldn't ask for much more out of Anthony Davis. Playing at that center spot, um, playing over 40 minutes in that game, uh, great, great stats. And then LeBron, very good as well. 26 points. 12 rebounds, nine assists, near triple double. Um, did not make a three. He attempted four threes, did not make any of them. Um, that was a little rough, but otherwise, great all round game. Austin Reeves, 23 points, eight assists. Those three together, along with 17 off the bench from Roy Hachimura, you know, very solid. And again, they scored 126 as a team. They, the offense certainly was not the issue. There were some defensive things to like, but, um, on the rebounding side of it, they weren't able to, you know, mitigate Jokic's effect, his all round play. He just dominated this game. That's even though he didn't score as much as Anthony Davis, he still was the more dominant player in this game. Looking at his stats, 34 points, 21 rebounds and 14 assists. And I want to say about half of those rebounds came in the first quarter. I mean, they just came out and they were on fire. Jokic made all three of his three-point attempts. He shot 70% from the floor, um, and there's just not much you can do. I mean, when you got a guy that's playing that well, and he's, you know, the playmaker that he is, getting the rest of the team involved, the rest of the starters all scored in double figures. Jamal Murray had 31 points himself, five boards, five assists, three steals, a block. Jokic also had two blocks. Um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope with 21 points three assists, two boards, two steals, a block. Michael Porter Jr., 15 points, 10 rebounds. Uh, you know, Aaron Gordon, 12 points, 16 points off the bench for Bruce Brown. 
very well distributed scoring, a lot of guys hitting some big shots. As a team, they shot above 50% on the game, which is just about what Los Angeles shot. Um, and the same as you know, the three pointers, the free throw line was similar. Actually, LA shot better from the free throw line as a team. The offense was not really the the determining factor in terms of being able to knock down shots and having guys score. Denver had just a little bit more balanced attack and again, the rebounding, you know, being able to, to slow Jokic down, not getting those second chance opportunities, not getting the defensive boards to, to make, you know, short possessions for LA and turn it over to, to Denver so they can get things going. And then the 14 assists, you know, we, you know, that that's going to be a big part of his game. Um, and in a lot of ways it's, it's tougher to, you know, there's a lot of great scorers, especially in the modern NBA. There's not as many great distributors, like truly great distributors. You know, I think that's a fair assessment. You look at any number of players that are phenomenal scorers, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, uh, Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns, you know, Durant, of course, now in the Suns as well. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, Anthony Edwards has emerged and, and that's not the next name I go to, but there's just so many guys, you know, a Kyrie Irving, when he plays a James Harden, a Joel Embiid, any of your, any and all of your superstars, a lot of, you know, all-stars or near all-stars are guys that can consistently give you 20 or more points a game easy. And they're guys that are, you know, fairly routine basis, 30 points in a game, not too, it's not too rare for them to get 40 points in a game. Anyways, the general point, there's a ton of great scores. When you think about truly phenomenal distributors in today's game, you can think of Jokic, of course, a LeBron James, maybe a Chris Paul. Um, and after that, you get a little bit more thin as far as guys that are truly great in that field. I mean, maybe you have a mix of like a Steph Curry, a Draymond Green, what the Warriors do. Some of those guys are in that kind of a conversation in some ways. Um you know, Harden has shown some passing ability. Um, you know, Trey Young racks up some assists, but really, truly great guys. It, it's a little bit more few and far between. So, in some ways, the, the point I was going to make back to that is, you know, P, I, I, it seems like teams have more experience. Okay, this guy's a great scorer. We need to slow him down versus this guy's a great distributor we need to prevent him from distributing and it especially doesn't help when that guy has a size advantage and he can score very easily himself and grab boards and he can dominate in a more traditional sense you know your traditional big man dominates a game um he just seems to get better and better every every game every round of this playoffs and that's the guy the lakers need to stop you know Jamal Murray is certainly in that mix too, as far as he's been dynamite, his scoring ability playing off of Jokic, you know, you want to stop him too, but your sole focus right now, you've got to figure out how to stop Jokic. You know, that's, that's the key. That's your, your whole game plan, your whole focus. If you can figure out how to impact him a little, then you figure out, okay, how do we play our game and, you know, do work against the other guys on the Nuggets around that, you know? And so 
he's just phenomenal. It'll be interesting to see what they do in in game two to try and counteract that. And again, game two will be tomorrow. It's on ESPN, and that's 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. So great opening game by, honestly, both teams. Lakers did not play bad at all. The Nuggets were just truly dominant. And um, Lakers made a great second half effort. Wasn't quite enough. And now the Nuggets will look to see if they can take care of business fully. They can finish the job at home and try and steal a game on the road to really, you know, swing the series towards their favor. Um, so that was the first game. And then tonight's game, um, I'll be honest, I haven't had a ton of opportunity to look into the stats. I did see that Butler had a big game, but we're going to dive into this together and see what happened. So we had game one of the two seed in the East, the Boston Celtics, hosting the eighth seed in the East, the Miami Heat. Uh, Celtics, of course, with the home court advantage. They will have game one and game two in Boston. Game one was in Boston tonight, and the Heat stole game one, as they have done in the prior two playoff series. They stole game one against the Bucks, and then they did it to the Knicks, and now they've done it to the Celtics. And so very, very much a great omen and a great start for the Miami Heat. Uh, they win this game 123 to 116. Celtics, obviously, probably very, you know, easy to say, very disappointed to have lost this game. And now it totally changes the dynamic of your planning. Um, and especially there's a lot greater sense of urgency. So in that sense, um, in game two, the Celtics will have that sort of an edge as far as the urgency, um, you know, needing to respond. There is the small danger for Miami of, okay, we got the game one, we can be complacent. And in some sense they really can, you know, even if they lose game two, they've already stolen a game and now they're going back to Miami. Um, so it's a pretty good situation to be in regardless of winning game two or not. Um, so a great start for them and this game pretty back and forth, 18 lead changes throughout the Celtics built a nice lead going into the half, uh, great momentum coming out of the half uh, Celtics in a matter of minutes lost that momentum. It seems and the heat were able to build momentum heat coming out of the third quarter with the, their biggest lead of the game. Um, and then Celtics kept it close, but they never really cut the margin quite enough to be, you know, in the neighborhood of tying the game, taking a lead, things like that. Um, let's look at the box score for, for Boston first. Jason Tatum, 30 points, seven boards, um, an assist, a block. Um, 11, made all 11 of his free throw attempts, one of three from three, 52% from the floor. Pretty solid. You know, I mean, he had a an all-time great performance in game seven, and that's a very solid way to follow that up, you know, not, as great of course but it doesn't have to be you know solid game for him uh 22 points from jalen brown nine boards five assists um all right shooting the three-point percentage is a bit low but not terrible 19 points from malcolm brogdon off the bench um they also had 14 points seven rebounds from robert williams the third 13 points 11 assists two steals a block from marcus smart um 11 points off the bench for Derek White, and then Al Horford, 7 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 steals. For Boston, it looks like they played a pretty solid game overall. I mean, the the field goal percentage, pretty solid. The three-point three percentage may be a touch low for the Stars, and that could have been a bit of a difference maker, um, especially if you have, you know, Miami was locked in, and it looks like they were looking at the box score for them. 
Um, it looked like they were in love with, um, you know, numbers divisible by five. Jimmy Butler with 35 points, uh, five boards, seven assists, six steals. Wow. That definitely jumps out. And he was also two of four from three. Um, not a guy you think of as a three-point shooter, able to knock down a great clip there. Um, and then Bam Adebayo, 20 points, eight boards, five assists, one steal. Um, and he shot nearly 70% from the floor, um, missed some free throws, but still very good. And then he had f- four different guys with 15 points each. Um, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, who were the two starters, Caleb Martin off the bench and Kyle Lowry off the bench. Um, Martin with two steals on a block, Lowry and Gabe Vincent with a steal on a block each. And, you know, the offense for both teams, very solid Miami, just a little bit more of an edge. Um, trying to look at things here. I mean, rebounding was close. Assists were close defensively. That could have been a, a factor. Uh, you know, Miami turned turned the Celtics over a little bit more. I mean, especially Jimmy Butler being able to get six steals on his own. Um, but 12 steals total compared to, to Boston six. That's a difference maker. Um, percentages all around, not too much different, but Miami a much better three-point shooting team in this game. Um, as a team, Miami shot above 50% from three versus the Celtics, who shot about 34% from three. Not bad by the Celtics, again, but, you know, Jalen Brown being 16%, Jason Tatum 33%, versus the Heat, who had no one below 40% from three, um, other than Duncan Robinson, who missed both of his attempts. You know, that it's just those small things. In a close game, and kind of down to the wire a little bit as far as, you know, neither team had a huge lead, for the most part, there were a handful of times for either the Celtics or the heat where they were above a 10 point lead. Otherwise the game was within that kind of 10 point margin most of the time. And so there are certain moments in a game where the, that momentum can shift. If you have a team that's got that three pointer going all game and you as a team have not been able to meet that, that can kind of help swing it towards the other team, you know? And so it just seems like that's what it is, you know, and Miami, They've they've been riding that they've had a hot hand in Jimmy Butler. They've had game one momentum, phenomenal momentum going into series, uh, you know, game one of a new series. So for Boston, of course, they would have loved to get that that game one. And it can be very um, upsetting. It can feel not quite demoralizing, but they're certainly upset not having gotten game one. But uh, what? What Boston needs, they just need to be able to tap into that natural sense of urgency, that natural, you know, sensation that we got to get game two for sure. Um, get the job done, tie up the series, and then go into Miami with that continued sense of, you know, we got to get the home court advantage back. We got to take a game in Miami. We got to knot the series up. We got to bring it back to a best of three, two, two tie at the very least, you know. If not, see if we can try and win a couple of the, you know, we'll see if we can take both in Miami, see if we can totally flip the script, you know, so, so Miami has the opportunity, like I said, game two, no matter what happens, they're still in a great position. They have the opportunity if they really want to put the hammer down, if they can try and steal game two, that would put them in a position for a sweep almost, 
you know, so Boston has years here and we're going to have to need, we're going to have to see that um, to, you know, keep this series close, keep it, you know, knotted up going into the remainder of the series. Um, And again, a reminder that game two will be on Friday. It'll also be on TNT and that's at eight 30 Eastern standard time as well. Um, A reminder that the series, you know, each conference finals will be dedicated to, you know, solely on one channel. So the Western conference finals, your Lakers nugget series, that is only going to be on ESPN and or ABC since those are kind of sister channels in some ways. And then the uh, Celtics heat series that is going to be solely on TNT um, Turner sports. So keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the week. But otherwise, that's that's your game ones. Miami with a quick lead. Denver with a quick lead. Denver, you'd kind of expect as far as the higher seed. Miami is shocker in game one. And so game twos for both series will be interesting to see how the losing team responds, how the winning teams respond. Um, and we're off to a great start. Already some, some intrigue and some great individual performances and team performances, really, uh, to start off this uh this pair of conference final series Um, that takes care of those games. Let's real quick, give you some key news. And this one, of course, the big one um, outside of the current playoffs. And this is the biggest set of NBA news or biggest little news item we've had for a few weeks now. Um, The San Antonio Spurs, they won the, the sweepstakes, the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. They won the number one pick in the NBA draft lottery. Uh, that lottery, of course, last night, um, just before tip-off of the Nuggets-Lakers game. Here's the full results for that first round, what those picks will be. So San Antonio will pick first. Charlotte bumped themselves all the way up to second. Um, Portland three, Houston four, and Detroit falls to five. If you remember, Spurs, Rockets, and Pistons, they all had equal odds of landing that first pick. Spurs got it. Hornets and Trailblazers moved up and displace the Rockets and the Pistons down to four and five. Certainly disappointing for those teams uh, to fall that far. Um, Great news, obviously, for Charlotte and Portland, jumping up in the top three. San Antonio, the most excited. Outside of that, uh, things kind of went to form. Orlando with the sixth pick. Uh, Seventh is the Pacers of Indiana. Eight is Washington. Nine is Utah. Um, 10 is Dallas, 11 Orlando, that pick coming uh, to them from Chicago as part of a previous trade. 12, the Oklahoma City Thunder, 13, the Toronto Raptors, and 14, New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, So that is your first round, your lottery. Outside of that, you can find these, uh, the remainder of the picks online. And this was, I believe, already previously available. A ton of these picks have already been traded. Actually, there's probably... It'd be easier to list the picks that have not been traded in the remainder of the first round and the second round than those that have uh than those that have been traded. Um Atlanta 15, Utah 16, that's the Minnesota pick. Uh Lakers at 17, 18, Miami, um, and so on. So that's your general order. You can look up that specific list, but that's your lottery in particular that was decided last night. Again, congratulations to the Spurs. Plenty of hype around Wenbanyama, totally justifiable as far as size and ability. Um, I will just add a quick comment, and this is more off note, kind of just things I've been thinking about. 
you know, and there's been multiple prospects that have had this happen where there's so much to talk about, so much intrigue and, you know, the media circle can just kind of build on itself. You know, I think that the hype for when Binyama has maybe got to that point where it's a bit much, you know, and I don't mean that to deride when Binyama by any means, you know, I've shown my skepticism in the past purely on the basis of just in the history of the NBA, we've had a number of, you know, guys who have been very tall and billed as, you know, that unicorn type prospect um, or simply that height alone has made them a, a hot commodity. And it's more just for the player, you know, when if those guys don't pan out to be, excuse me, if those guys don't pan out to be the next LeBron James, Tim Duncan um, type player, if that doesn't pan out, you know, and all this hype was built up for a player and then they didn't meet that expectation. And now it's the player's fault, you know, and there's some degrees where a player has every ability to be great and they're not the ones who fulfill that. You know, they didn't put in the extra work and things of that nature. That makes sense. But, you know, with a lot of these taller prospects, you know, they're guys that just enjoy playing basketball and, you know, having the chance to go to the NBA is a dream, of course. And and they they love the game, love being a part of it. Um, and then they're, they're just trying to do their best. And for whatever reason, they're not able to fulfill that hype. And then suddenly they've done something wrong. I don't know. I just would hate for us, you know, because there's a there's a realm of possibility where when when Binyama comes into the league and for whatever factors, whether it's outside factors, inside factors, health is always a great variable. And we certainly would not wish that on anyone. And we do not. Um, but it's something that, you know, you're wary of with any prospect, especially um, in the modern NBA. You know, there's any number of factors that could limit that career and we don't want it to happen but i just would hate for us in the future to to have you know the talking heads or whoever start to look back on oh a guy was a draft bust and this guy was supposed to be this greatest thing and it's like well he was supposed to be that because we got the hype bit train going and and media made it that way and media kind of creates this narrative and then you know controls that narrative later when really it's just, you know, a very interesting prospect um, appears to be the best prospect in this draft. Um, you know, consensus number one pick. Let's see what he does with it. And so anyways, it's a longer diatribe. Again, it's no comment against when Benyama himself. Um, I've seen clips and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing clearly why there's a lot of hype. You know, he seems like a talented prospect. Um I've only heard him talk once. I heard him talk at the the draft lottery. They interviewed him shortly after the Spurs won the draft lottery. Seems like he's got a good head on his shoulders, you know, solid kid. And so I, I would love for him to come in and be the next greatest player of all time. You know, that would be hugely interesting. And he'd be a, at his size and his skill set. If that translates and he becomes dominant, it would just be unbelievable. You know, he would be a modern day, you know, if he, pans out as that generational prospect with his size, he would be the modern day Wilt Chamberlain or would have that potential, you know? So I just don't want us to 
you know, if it doesn't work out, we've built up this hype train. And now that affects who he is as a person for the rest of his life. You know what I mean? So again, that was a bit of a diatribe. I apologize for, you know, rambling on that a little bit, Um, but we were going to have a shorter show anyways. So that gives us a little bit extra to, to, you know, fill out the show, I suppose. Uh, Let's hit on a couple more news items before we wrap things up or prepare to wrap things up. Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers uh, head coach, Doc Rivers has been fired. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because we chatted a bit very briefly on Monday with Wyatt about, you know, the direction for the Sixers going forward. I threw that out there as just a discussion point. Um, I'm not hugely surprised that he was fired. Um, And I did mention, you know, questions about him being the guy. Um, And this might sound like backpedaling and perhaps some of it is, but, um, you know, similar to this one Banyama thing, I don't want that talk about Doc Rivers to be any kind of indictment on him as a coach or as a person. He's won a championship as a coach. He was a coach of the year candidate in Orlando. He's been a phenomenal coach. I mean, everywhere he's gone, they've been playoff contention. Um, and skeptics might say, well, you know, he he had the easy talent to do that in the recent stretches. You know, with, uh, with Philadelphia especially, he went to a team that was already a playoff team. He, you know, that might have just been a case of not messing it up. And maybe, but, you know, it it's hard to think of I, – I mean, I'm sure there's hundreds of Fed coaches that have done that same thing, and there's really nothing wrong with it. You know, it should be a great credit. You know, you didn't mess it up. You came in, and you and your style, they were able to translate that quickly and, and keep winning with a slightly different style, you know. So – um, and, you know, off the core and as a player, he's great. You know, he was – he was an underrated player. I believe he was an all-star at least once in his career, perhaps twice. Great player, of course. And as a person, he's great. I actually, um, his coaching career did kind of take away from him as a commentator. I was recently re-watching some of the, uh, or watching through the finals games from 04, uh, that Pistons-Lakers series with the, you know, the Ben Wallace Chauncey Billups, uh, Pistons versus Shaq and Kobe and Carl Malone, Gary Payton, that Lakers team. Um, but Doc Rivers was doing the color commentary. He was with Al Michaels at that time. And, um, you know, he, he did great. I, I really enjoyed him as a commentator. And so, you know, that would be a selfish thing for me as far as, oh, him being head coach, that's taken away from a great commentator. Um, we're blessed with many great commentators, but he would have been one of them to have. And, uh, you know, but he's a great guy all around. Um, so I don't mean to be negative about that. Um, so, so he's been fired. He's maybe going to be, you know, a candidate with some other team. Maybe, I mean, he's been coaching a long time now. It's been about 20 years and he of course had a lengthy playing career. Um, who knows if he still wants to keep going for a while, if he's thinking about, you know, kind of hanging it up soon or what that plan is. But um, wherever he goes, he would certainly be an asset and he would almost, you know, be that locked guarantee of getting that team into a playoff contending area. And that is a, that's a great thing, you know, so um, wishing him the best again, don't want to be negative about uh, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then for Memphis, um, Desmond Bain had surgery 
recently on a right uh, broken right toe, uh, which was originally injured, uh, or re- which he originally injured on November 11th. Um, so, yeah, I that was kind of interesting one. November 11th uh, was out for a few weeks, came back, and he played through the rest of the year, played through the playoffs, um, and that was diagnosed or reported at the time as a sprained right toe. And so um, that's wild to have played on a broken right toe for that long of a time. Hopefully that does not impact it going forward. It doesn't, you know, complicate things after a surgery or anything like that. Uh, Wishing him the best as he recovers from that. But um, yeah, certainly something to note in Memphis, not, uh, not a quiet off season for them so far. And that's about all that we can say for that. Um, Otherwise, that's really about all we have. We've summarized our games. We've gone on long tangents with our news items. That's really it. Again, the rest of this week, Thursday and Friday, tomorrow and Friday, we've got game two in both the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. Western Conference Finals game two is tomorrow. Eastern Conference Finals game two is on Friday. Um, Real quick, I'll also take the chance to plug our Instagram page. That's crossover across time, all one word on Instagram, no capital letters. Um, We share content from the show. We also do our best to like and share content from across the NBA. So that page, along with the podcast itself, those both are great ways to stay up to date with what's going on in the the NBA, as well as get that historic uh, perspective, the history of the NBA and of basketball. So um, once again, appreciate support. We'll be back on for Friday's episode um, with some game summaries from game twos, your latest news. We'll maybe discuss early takeaways from the, uh, you know, the first couple of games of the conference finals, and then we'll, uh, you know, get you prepped for the weekend. Um, real quick. I do need to give you our, this day in history fact before we fully wrap things up. Okay. So for this, uh, let's see for today's this day in history fact, We're going back to 1988 uh, with a Utah Jazz fact. I know I'm playing a little bit of favorites as a Jazz fan, but uh, this is a great one. So we got to we got to highlight it. Uh, So May 17th, 1988, John Stockton of the Utah Jazz tied Magic Johnson's NBA playoff assist record with 24. But it was in a losing effort. 111 to 109 against guess who? The Los Angeles Lakers in game five of the Western Conference semifinals. you know, great number, great player, of course, as a jazz fan, a little bit biased, but um, I think it was just interesting to note that this was right in the early days of the jazz being those real consistent um, playoff, you know, real consistent playoff teams in the playoffs every year. I'm willing to bet that's one of the first years that Jerry Sloan was head coach just after Frank Layden had kind of got the playoff momentum started. And I feel like this is around that time where Stockton was truly emerging as not just, you know, the Jazz starting point guard and a very solid, you know, defensive point guard distributor to, okay, he's really kind of a superstar as far as such a tremendous distributor, defensive player, tough, you know, the shooting ability, everything that he he brought to the game, you know, that was kind of the start of that emergence. And so definitely wanted to highlight that. Um, And again, a little bit biased, of course, but otherwise that's it for our, uh, for our, our, this day in history fact, 
our news, our summaries, and that takes care of the show as a whole. Thank you all again for listening. We really appreciate the support, and we'll be back with you on Friday.